Don't you just love it when you can confidently say that someone has your back? Hi, Dave Lee here, and that's the feeling I have with UCARE. Anytime I call them up with a Medicare question, I know without a doubt that a real person will answer, and they will work through my issues no matter how long it takes, and they won't hang up until I completely understand what's going on. Their people and customer service are second to none, and it's why UCARE has people-powered health plans. Don't hesitate to reach out to UCARE for help. Learn more at UCARE.org slash Medicare. This paid endorsement brought to you by UCARE. Today on My First Concert, uh, we're talking uh, with Pete Johnson here on My First Concert today and lots of things to talk about with Pete. I, I do want to ask you a little bit about uh, Debbie Duncan because okay. she was a local favorite uh, and and you uh, you not only got to know Debbie, you, you had you were kind of involved in got, getting here to the Twin Cities. Well, um, I was doing Manhattan Transfer in, in, uh, in 1979. Uh, we were rehearsing for a tour, um, and after rehearsal one night, one of the four singers in the Manhattan Transfer had a traffic accident and broke her jaw. Mm. And so not only could she not sing for quite a while, but she couldn't eat or anything. And so we were all of a sudden, we were unemployed, and... I thought, well, maybe this would be a good time to go to college because... <laughs> <laughs> Today on the show, a talented Minnesota musician who's played nationally and a lot internationally as well with some big names and a lot of stories. Uh, Pete Johnson joins us today, and we're going to talk to Pete about some of his experiences, obviously his first concert. It's all brought to you today by the Minnesota Propane Association, by Aquarius Home Services from the AquariusHomeServices.com studio, by UCARE, by the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, where they have a lot of great concerts we'll tell you about, and by StarBank.net. Pete Johnson is a multi-talented performer, a drummer by trade, and was with Manhattan Transfer for a number of years, but a lot of other folks as well. In fact, one startling story you got to hear a little later on in the program, but first of all, Pete, thanks for coming in. Really nice to see you. Great to, great to be here. I appreciate it. Now, i got to ask you about your first concert. <laughs> Obviously, you're an experienced musician, still playing, but your first concert, what was it? My first concert... Um you know, the first concert I ever went on with a on my own without my parents was probably at the Labor Temple uh, in February of '69, and that would have been Procol Harum at oh the my. Labor Temple. But um, and whiter shade of pale, whiter shade of pale. And in fact, I recorded that show on a little cassette deck. <laughs> and I, I did you brought with you? Well, I dubbed it over to to reel to reel, which I now have. Uh, actually in my office, and I'm I'm in the process of digitizing that. Stuff. No so I kidding. haven't I haven't listened to it yet, but that's that would have been from February of '69. Well, but, back in the days of bootlegs, right? Yeah, that place was located over on uh, on Fourth uh, uh, Avenue Southeast, just like two buildings in from Central, mm -hmm. and it's no longer there. But they had concerts up on the third floor. You sat on the floor. The place only held about 1,200 people. And it ran for a couple of years, 69 and 70 mainly. So my first concert, you know, uh, on my own without my folks would have been that. But I want to tell you the story of my, an earlier concert I went to. Mm -hmm. My dad worked for 3M and he had a business trip one time in Chicago. And he took the family, my sister and my mom and myself with him to Chicago. And we stayed an extra couple of days. And one night he took me to see the Ramsey Lewis Trio at the Palmer House wow. in Chicago. And 
um, it, I don't remember if it was during a, a break that the band, that the trio took. You know, it's a great little trio. Um, but it might have been before they started or during a break or after the show. But at some point, he went up to the drummer and said, hey, my son is with me. He's 13 years old. Um, and would you mind coming over and just talking to him about, about being a musician and being a drummer? And so he did. The drummer came over and sat with us. Oh, nice. And he was very, very... Um, encouraging and very personable, and his name was uh, Maurice White. <laughs> no kidding. Um, from Earth, Wind, and Fire. From Earth, Wind, and Fire. I oh. mean, at that point, this was 1966, so he hadn't started. He hadn't started the band yet. <laughs> so I met Maurice White as a 13-year-old. So that's oh. that's probably my favorite first concert uh, story that I could relate. To. Oh well, yeah, that's a, a very unusual. Plus, you're in Chicago at the Palmer House, and yeah, and you're seeing Ramsey Lewis. What mm -hmm. a show! Now you're a drummer by trade. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're 13 <laughs> at that point. You've done a lot of producing and that sort of thing as well. Was there a drummer that you kind of latched onto as a young guy? Is there somebody inspired you? Um, probably. You know, my favorite drummer um, most of my life, uh, especially in my early years when I was. You know, trying to find direction and how to how to approach the instrument would have been Jeff Percaro, who played on a lot of. He was in Toto, uh, but he played on a lot of uh, session stuff in the mid seventies and you know early eighties. And he was he was like everybody's first call drummer in L.A. and just played um, very economically and uh, very musically. And um, it was all about. Um, basically using the drums to serve the music instead of, you know, the reverse. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I was a big fan of his. Pete, growing up, of course, you had grown up in, when The Tonight Show was big. Uh, Buddy Rich was on that show a lot, and uh, they had a drummer, Ed O'Shaughnessy. Ed O'Shaughnessy, yep. And, did, and those guys got some time. He used to give them some time in Doc's band. Ironically, you'd play with Doc later. I'll ask you about that in a minute. But did, do you remember watching those guys when you were youngster or not really? Um, well, I, I remember watching the Carson show. and But, you know, they would just so, show little snippets of the band when they cut to and from commercials. So yeah. it wasn't too often that they actually featured the band. Mm -hmm. But I knew that, you know, he, O'Shaughnessy was a fabulous drummer. Yeah. Um, um, you know, as was Buddy Rich. Yeah. I want to ask you when we come back about uh, Doc Severinsen. Okay. And uh, some other names that I'll throw at you, James Taylor and a few others. But you've been around a lot of big-time people, Pete, accomplished drummer. He's with us here on My First Concert. Davide's here. Davide, nice to have you back. Doing all the I heavy lifting. I'm glad to be back, too. Yeah, it's good to have you here. And also good to have the folks over at Aquarius Home Services with us from the Aquarius Home Services studios. If you're a little overwhelmed by a growing to-do list, and a shrinking schedule now that we're kind of back into the school season and all those work sessions that we have and the summer's gone. Spending a little more time stressing over household repairs than enjoying life is no fun. But you're not alone on that. And Aquarius Home Services knows that and they have your back. And I can tell you that because I've worked with them for over two decades. They're awesome. I was there when Jeff started this business. They are your trusted local uh, let us tackle your do-it-yourself list team. That's probably the best way to put it. A plumbing that gives you trouble, you can choose their service. They'll handle the fix, and they'll take $98 off the repair cost. Yep, no kidding. Any furnace, plumbing, or electrical repair, they're taking $98 from the price. So watch that to-do list you have. Just kind of uh, you know, go away and let them take care of it. You can rethink your time. So I wouldn't worry about uh, flickering lights or 
leaky toilets or noisy furnaces or whatever. They're professionals. They're great. They believe in earning the right to be recommended. I love the other day, I got a text from a really longtime good friend of mine who sent me a note and said, hey, these Aquarius guys really are as good as you say. I said, well, you didn't believe me? They are. They're, they're just a click away, too, at AquariusHomeServices.com. Uh, Pete Johnson is with us. A lot of you know Pete. For those of you who don't, very accomplished musician, producer. He's produced some albums. We had uh, Mary Jane Alm on the show. She talked about her first album. Pete did that one. But before we get into that, Pete, let me ask you about, I guess as long as I mention The Tonight Show, I think of Doc Severinsen. You played with him a few times, didn't you? Yeah, I I, I think I played with him once is all. Um, he sponsored, or I don't know if sponsored is the word. He headed up Pops concerts at Orchestra Hall, yes. as I recall. Yep. And he... Uh, he didn't necessarily play on all of them. Right. I played with him on one for sure. It was a Klezmer show. Uh, Shelley Hansen, clarinet player, had a had a Klezmer band, and I got recruited to be in to be on that particular concert. So I got to play with him on that occasion, and I don't think I played with him other than that one time. Yeah. Yeah. That's my recollection. I did get to play with Dave Brubeck at the or, at Orchestra Hall, oh, wow. and I think Doc may have may have been you know in kind of in charge of that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really remember to tell you the truth because of my age. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just don't remember. When, when, Too long ago. You know what you're doing. You go in there. You have confidence. But when you play with a, a Doc Severson, when you play with a Dave Brubeck, yeah. were there butterflies or not really? Um, yes. Yeah. There, I, and I think, you know, that's usually the case if you care about the gig, especially if you're only going to do it one time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you do it regularly, you don't get nervous being on stage. But yeah. if you, you only got one shot at it, you, you want to get it right. And yeah, it's, it's, it can be a little nerve wracking. And that particular venue for a drummer, if you're playing orchestra hall, yeah. is, is challenging because it's so live. Um, it's it's so you know echoey, and yeah. so when you play, you really have to be careful that you don't overplay and you know play too loud. You know, um, so you got to play soft and well, and you know. Anyway, <laughs> as a sidebar to that, now you're a guy that's played a lot of gigs. Did you have to dress up like formally for that? appearance sure i'm sure it was a, I, I mean i'm 99 sure it would have been tuxedos probably <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah a little different set for a musician mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> okay so high school you have a band yeah uh, and tell us a bit about that and and uh, <clears throat> whatever happened to your bass player in that band well um pardon me i'm losing my voice here a little bit i'm gonna cough for a second you can edit yep. this out <laughs> <laughs> excuse me sorry Yes. Um, when I was in high school, um, I got lucky. I was from Maplewood, but I threw, um, uh, mainly through a band camp that I attended up in Moose Lake, uh, Barnum area called Arrowhead Band Camp. I met some guys uh, from the western suburbs who, um, were, who had formed a band, and they were looking for a drummer, and um, so... My, my folks were good enough to drive me over to Wyzetta to, uh, <laughs> from Maplewood, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, to rehearse with those guys. And <clears throat> those guys were really, really terrific musicians, better musicians than I, than, than I was. Um, and um, uh, one of them was, uh, there were brothers, Gordy and Jimmy Johnson. Gordy's a, Gordy played guitar in that band, but has gone on to be a very well-known bass player in these parts. He just moved away, actually, about a year ago. He 
but he's lived he lived he had lived here all his life and he played with uh, you know Chuck Mangione and Maynard mm. Ferguson and a bunch of people oh, later wow. in life. Maynard Ferguson, I forgot about him. <clears throat> his brother uh, Jimmy Johnson was the bass player. Jimmy has been James Taylor's bass player and music director for the, I think probably the last thirty five years. Wow. The piano player was a was a kid named Bill Barber, Billy Barber, who um, is probably the finest melody writer I know. He started a band called Flim and the Beebees, um, and um, he also, he, I mean, he wrote songs. He, Ray Charles recorded one of his tunes. The, no kidding. He had a hit for the Oak Ridge Boys. He's a fabulous pianist. He was in town last winter playing with Leo Kotke at the Guthrie, oh. but he lives out in Connecticut now. But he's a he's just a brilliant musician and and a huge influence on me, um, and um, the trombone player in that band was a guy named Peter Emblem who who played with Buddy Rich, uh, the Buddy Rich band, and I mean so these guys were as a, at a young age you know the the serendipity <laughs> involved <laughs> to run into these people you know and be in a band with them at that age was it was just sheer um, I mean extremely uh, lucky deal for me and I learned a lot from those people um, and um, and you know when you meet folks of that caliber at a young age it really helps with your career because they go on to meet people and they introduce you to them and there's a yeah. network thing that happens and so you get you get lucky you know and that's how I feel about those guys well, and, and we're still in touch so yeah, that's great. And I'm sure they probably tell our friends, well, one of the guys in the band actually did a show for one of the Beatles. <laughs> and I want to ask you about that. Okay. You got so many great stories. When we come back here in just a minute, folks, hang on. This is a good one. My first concert, Dave Lee here. You can download us on Apple, Spotify. You can go to talknorth.com. You can subscribe, and that's the easiest way to do this. Uh, and the personalities we've had here uh, in, have been fascinating, particularly in this Minnesota music talent-laden industry that we have in this state. So we'll talk some more with Pete about that special show, and you're looking to look forward to that in a minute. By the way, if you're going to look forward to a trip into the bank and you're thinking, I don't know if I look forward to this or not, I can give you a great idea on how you can. That's by going to Star Bank. It's a Minnesota bank, 10 locations around our state, but uh, right here in the Metro, too. But it's still run by the same family. So for years, when they started this years ago out in rural Minnesota, they just when they look for a property, they take their time. They make sure they want to gonna they're going to have it for a long time. And it's really nice to know that background when you go in there for a loan, whether it be maybe for your home mortgage, or your business, or ag operation, or an equipment loan, or an RV, or a camper, uh, equity line of credit. I mean, there's a lot of things you can think about right there. But they are second to none at Star Bank because there's no red tape or any monkey business once you apply for a loan and submit your documentations. And then you get to know them and you get to realize why they're successful pretty darn quick. Whether you talk to them on the phone, which they answer live in person, or you can stop into the bank and get to know them that way, which they uh, I would encourage as well because that's what's going to happen. But like a lot of us, you can do it right there on your phone or your computer with a high tech too. That's not a problem either. They have all of that. But I'd encourage you to look at the loan needs and see if uh, they can meet them at Star Bank. I think you're going to be impressed. It's family-owned still, as I mentioned, Minnesota-based. So find out how banking should be. It's the way they do it. And I'd call your local Star Bank. Uh, I'd call a branch that's closest to you today. Or you could stop in even better at your convenience. Loans are subject to a loan application approval. They are our bank here at TalkNorth.com, just so you know that. StarBank.net, member FDIC and equal housing lender. Well, Pete, I'm kind of running all over the map here because it's so fascinating, your career. But 
Tell me about <laughs> playing it. You you played, and you stated it better than I do. Uh, but you have never seen Paul McCartney perform. But he's seen you perform. <laughs> so can yeah. you tell us about this? Yeah, that's a line of that's a line I like to use. Uh, <laughs> well, what happened was I I I had I lived here and um, grew grown up here, and, and when I was twenty one, <clears throat> I moved to. When I was 21, I moved to Los Angeles with a rock band I had. It was kind of an offshoot of that younger band I mentioned earlier. And we were heading out there. I think we, we wanted to be rock stars. And I think within six months, I was driving a school bus for the city of Pasadena. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but so the band didn't really last out there. But I hung in there and eventually met some musicians. And I, <clears throat> I got a gig with a good group and... Um, one of the guys was from Los Angeles, and he heard about an audition with Manhattan Transfer. He got a gig with Manhattan Transfer, and a few months later, they were looking for a guitar player. He recommended the guitar player from this band I had joined. He auditioned. He got the gig. And then a few months after that, they were looking for a drummer. Those two guys recommended me. I auditioned, and I got the gig. So again, it's just kind of luck of who you who you meet and who you get to play with. So I... I'm, I'm, I have this Manhattan transfer gig, and this would have been when I was from about age 24 to 26, mid-70s, late, later 70s. They had had a TV replacement series here in the States in 75, one, network, one of the networks, uh, but they didn't really have a hit in the United States other than they had a tune called Operator that was a hit in the maybe 74 or something. But most of their, uh, their hit records were, were occurring in Australia and particularly Europe in mm. those days. So as a in my mid twenties, I got to do a lot of touring in Europe and in Australia. We did a couple Australian New Zealand tours. Got to play in Tasmania. Oh my! <laughs> uh, That's um, something you never thought. Yeah, about, I never. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 we did a number of tours in Europe. And one uh, on one of these tours, we happened to be in England when EMI Records was having its annual banquet for its artists, where they just gather everybody in a hotel ballroom in London. I don't remember which hotel, but um, it was just a regular little, you know, hotel ballroom. And they set up some risers for entertainment. And they asked Manhattan Transfer to be the entertainment at this, at this banquet for the EMI artists. And right there at the head table <laughs> was Paul McCartney. <laughs> And all I remember, I don't really, I, we probably played a, like a half hour set and he, you know, he was, he, he seemed to be into it. He was, he was, he was enjoying the show. The main thing I remember about it is how nervous the singers were oh, um, <laughs> when they figured out that he was here and that he was at the, at the front table. So that's my, that's, that was a fun, fun deal. Oh yeah. Not many yeah. people can say that Yeah, because in, in your journey as a musician, it's hard for you to go out. And see other performers like him, a or whoever, right? I mean, you don't get a chance to go watch a lot of other people. I don't imagine. Well, you you, you tend to be working when they're working sometimes. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, we're talking uh, with Pete Johnson here on my first concert today, and lots of things to talk about with Pete. I, I do want to ask you a little bit about uh, Debbie Duncan because okay. she was a local favorite, uh, and and you uh, you not only got to know Debbie, you had you were kind of involved and got getting here to the Twin Cities? Well, um, I was doing Manhattan Transfer in, in, uh, in 1979. Uh, we were rehearsing for a tour, um, and 
after rehearsal one night, one of the four singers in the Manhattan Transfer had a traffic accident and broke her jaw. Mm. And so not only could she not sing for quite a while, but she couldn't eat or anything. And so we were all of a sudden we were unemployed. And I thought, well, maybe this would be a good time to go to college because <laughs> <laughs> I, I had been putting off... Uh, you know, I never really pictured myself as being a you know musician for my entire career. I, I this was like something I was, you know, every year would go by and go, well, I guess I can do this for another year, you know. And <laughs> but at that point, I thought, well, you know, maybe this would be a good time. So um, I did start going to school out there, um, and but while I was doing that, I I I got into a little trio and and uh, we played the clubs in town in the evenings, and Debbie Duncan was the singer. Uh, we met Debbie. I met Debbie through the piano player in this in this trio, and so we had a little group for I don't know about a year or so. It would have been in probably 1980 or maybe 81. And of course, Debbie was fantastic. Um, and anyway, eventually, my wife and I moved back here, um, and I was gonna kind of get serious and start. <laughs> And, um, you know, figure out what I was going to do when I grow up, you know, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, but when I got back here, I started getting calls for this and that. Well, I can, yeah, I can play this session for an hour and then I, you know, I can do this. And, you know, it just kind of snowballed. And I ended, I finally ended up deciding, I guess I'm going to be a musician. Um, and one of the things that happened was I got asked to be in this Rupert's band. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a club out on 394 and Zinnia uh, that opened. It's now the Metropolitan Club, but it was called Rupert's, and it was a real, it made a big splash. Oh, yeah, I remember it well, yeah. Yeah, 1984, people would line up to get in. Yes. You know, they had like four or five bars on tiers. And, right you off know, 394. Then. Right, yep. right off 394. And about two, three weeks into that run, the, the band leader, a guy named Dick Whitbeck, um, Dick um, figured out that he really needed another, he, a, a gal who could sing, you know, a lot of the R&B tunes that, that, that we were trying to do there. And did anybody know a singer that, you know, and I said, well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> um, so I did, but I had lost track of Debbie's, uh, this is pre-cell phone days. Sure. You know? And I had lost track of Debbie's phone number. So we tried to call her mom. And her mom, we knew her mom was in Detroit. We knew her name was Lucille, but uh, we didn't have any more information. And uh, the operator said, well, I do have a Lucille, uh, but the number is unlisted. Sorry. Um, so we hung up the phone and were disappointed. And, and, uh, but my wife said, you know, let, let me, let's try something. And she called back and said, uh, talk to an operator and explain the situation. We have a job for this woman. Who, she's a really good singer. She needs the work. And we have a great job for her here in Minnesota. And um, so uh, would you mind calling her, calling her mother, because we're trying to reach Debbie and we don't have her number. We know her mother will know how to reach her. Could you please call her mother and have her mother call us? <laughs> and this operator, God bless her, she yeah. did it. Wow. And um, that's how Debbie got here. And then Debbie came and she ended up um, liking it here. And she was at Rupert's for you know, a few years. But she really wanted to sing jazz all along. That was sure. really her love. And so thanks to Lowell Pickett at the Dakota, she ended up working there quite a bit and, um, and spent, you know, had, her, had a wonderful career here. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah well known, well yeah. regarded, yeah, uh, super talent. Yeah, and Lowell Pickett's uh, did a heck of a job at Dakota Jazz Club. Absolutely, yeah. Back then, it was at the at Bandana Square in St. Yeah. Paul. Yes, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And now they have music from all genres. Over they there. do, yeah. I think they just uh, technically, you know, I haven't double checked that. That's a great point, Peter, because I, I go there. I wonder if it, is it just called the Dakota now? Maybe they took Jazz Club off. I don't even know. I, I, I'm not sure. I always u- used to know it as Dakota Jazz Club. Yeah, there aren't too many. I don't think um, exclusive jazz clubs anymore. Yeah. I think the genres have blended, and and owners of those kinds of establishments have figured out that it's better to to uh, have a little more variety, um, and uh, so that's what they do there. And I think that's what they do in a number of places like that. Uh, I do want to ask you as well when we come back about the world of uh, jingles, sure, and, and because that's an interesting world that I don't know if you ever anticipated, but it ended up being a big part of your life, obviously, yes. and mm-hmm. a big part actually. Folks, if you're, there's pretty good chance you heard Pete's work on some kind of jingle somewhere along the line. And we, we touched on this with our friend Mary Jane Alm a little bit because she was singing and you guys were working together. Mm-hmm. So ask you about that as well. He's Pete Johnson. He's our guest, accomplished drummer uh, with Manhattan Transfer and, of course, performing for Paul McCartney, as we just talked about, and some other great stories. Much more to come here on the show as well. Dave and Davide with you. Uh, are you prepared for power outages at your home or business? Now you're probably thinking, you know what, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Well, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation has issued its highest alert ever. And the Minnesota Propane Association wants to make sure that you know that installing a propane generator is going to ensure peace of mind when the power goes out. Also, the same propane that powers your generator can also power all the major appliances in your home with on-site stored energy independent of the grid. Now, that's a that's a mouthful right there. That's pretty important stuff, but you hear about the grid. But here, this is independent of that. And so that's a plus. Plus, installing propane appliances instead of electric appliances in your home or business is going to help reduce the size and cost of a generator as well. So just imagine, think about running all of your gas appliances at one time versus picking and choosing which electric ones to run during a power outage. And they happen, as you know. But it's reliable, it's affordable, it's safe. And find out about its relation to the environment. All the things we're doing now for the environment out there, as we should, uh, this plays into that beautifully. But you can learn a lot more about that and everything on their website. Propane, it's the energy for everyone, for all of us. I'd find out more about generators and propane appliances by simply doing this. Go to propane.com. It's that easy. Propane.com. Great to have the Minnesota Propane Association along with us on this show. Fun to be here. Uh, Pete Johnson, nice enough to take some time to join us here today. Uh, Pete, let's talk about the jingle world because you're back there playing sessions in the day, and we're all listening to these commercials on the radio or TV mm-hmm. with no clue, but you yeah. were in the middle of that. How'd that happen? Well, uh, I mentioned that band I was in in high school uh, with some really good musicians, and one of them I mentioned was was Billy Barber. Billy and a guy named Decker Veely and Dave Carr, a, a really good sax player here in town, um, and Hal Atkinson, the four of them, started a company in, I think it was probably 82 or 83, called The Music Staff. And um, this was at a time when ad agencies here in town were were learning that they, in fact, did not have to go to L.A. or New York 
to get good music. There, 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 was, there was good music to be had right here in the Twin Cities. But there were only three or four or five jingle houses or mu- music production houses in town at the, in those days. But they were, they were good. They were doing good work. And uh, one of them, was, uh, one of them was, was this music staff company that Decker Veely ran. And they got really busy. And um, so in, a, in 1984 is when they called me. They were just swamped with, with work. You know, General Mills, a lot of demos for General Mills. Uh, Kimberly Clark, um, Hormel, mm. uh, companies like that were, 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 were using local music. And they were very busy, and this is when I had started that Rupert's gig. And Billy called me one day, and he said, you got to come over here and write a jingle. I'm buried. And I said... <laughs> <laughs> Just do it. Yeah, I said, I said... Well, I don't. he had confidence in you. <laughs> well, we had, we had written some music in our rock band uh, mm-hmm. back in that. We recorded an album here uh, at Creation Audio uh, when we were in high school. No kidding. Yeah, and... and That's where we're recording this. And it was original music, and... Um, and we had, we were both budding writers uh, mm-hmm. from a young age, and he called me and said, "I need you to help me." I said, "I don't know how to do this." He says, "You can definitely do this." So I said, "Well, okay." It was a it was a paper towel commercial. I think it was Bounty or something. But anyway, I wrote this paper towel commercial uh, jingle, uh, and they give you the lyr- they, they generally give you the words, so you just have to write the music and produce the thing. Thirty seconds, and the client liked it. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and you were surprised. And, and I, yeah, <laughs> the client likes this. You know, and I said this was kind of fun. You know, uh, um, so uh, they asked they, now and then they would ask me to do more of that, and eventually they asked me to do enough so that I, I actually had to quit the Rupert's gig because I was too. I would leave there at one a.m. after playing sure. at Rupert's, and then I would then I would go straight to the Carriage House, which is the name of the their studio. And I'd be up all night writing something for a client that was going to be there at 9 a.m. And I just <laughs> couldn't keep it up. So I, I quit the Rupert's gig. And I kind of put the drums in the garage for about 15 years and just ended up doing, you know, production and, and writing music wow. music for hire. And I would hire myself to play drums on my own stuff. But beyond that, I really didn't, I kind of stopped gigging pretty much. Um, and, I, you know, it was kind of a heyday for for local musicians, I, I I sometimes think of it as we kind of had our own little mini version of, of the Wrecking Crew here in the Twin Cities because um, you know there were a few guitar players, a few keyboard players, a few bass players, a few drummers that were basically doing ninety percent of the work, you know. And there were only four or five music houses in town, and you know everybody got paid. There were you know it was it was it was pre digital uh, MIDI, pre yep. all that stuff. So it was kind of that sweet spot where you could make a living doing this. And there were a lot of people pretty busy running around from studio to studio, you know, singing or playing on jingles and playing instrumental underscores or whatever it might be. Um, I did a couple of Sesame Street live shows. Um, and um, that was fun. Got to, got to, uh, got to produce, uh, you know, Jim Henson and... and um, um, uh, Bird. Well, Big Bird, yeah, Carol, Carol Spinney, uh, and you, you know they don't come to you; you go to them. So, <laughs> Carol had a had a he lived in Hawaii. Big Bird lived in Hawaii, so I got I flew to Hawaii and recorded his his vocals, and wow. flew to New York and recorded Jim Henson doing Ernie, and um, so that was fun. Um, and uh, um, 
what's the guy who does? I can't think of his name right now. He's he's a legend. He he does all the voice. He does Grover. He does Cookie Monster. He does everybody. Uh, what's his name? Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I you know my, I can't think of it. If you think of it, Davi D, let me know. I Google it quick. Yeah, see if you can Google. It. Anyway, um, that was really fun uh, to to do that, and uh, so yeah, those were kind of the the. Uh, Kind of the Frank hate. Oz. Frank Oz, of course. Yes, Frank Oz. Um, so that was kind of the heyday of, 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 of jingles and, and, and underscores and all that, and music for hire in this town. You know, and it's still going on. I don't mean to say that it isn't, but... Um, it was huge. It was huge then. Yeah. 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 That's right. And there was opportunity even for the untalented musicians that could do some voice work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of vo- local voice work kind of. Yeah, out of Tom this. Bernard was here all the time. Yeah, Tommy yeah. did a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and so, yeah. yeah, that was. I'm sure boon. you did too. Uh, well, yeah, a little bit, but yeah. it was uh, it was a boon for a lot of people. Uh huh. Yeah, but I do remember that. That was just kind of a hotbed here mm-hmm. in the Twin Cities and the studios. And that's right. Let me go back to that first album, though. You recorded it right here where we're doing this at Creation mm-hmm. Audio. That's who right. Was, who engineered it? Um, guy named guy named Bob Schultz. This 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 Creation Audio has gone through a number of incarnations over the years. It was Universal Audio when we recorded here. <clears throat> Within a, a year later, I think Bob Schultz bought the built bought the place, and it, then he then it was Mike Side. He called it M I C S I D E. Um, but yes, this would have been the Universal Audio, probably sixty nine. I'm. I think maybe 1970 when we recorded this album, one of those two, right in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actually, we recorded a second album, but we never got it pressed. Um, and uh, that was my introduction to to uh, recording. Actually, our band, that that little high school rock band I mentioned, we got hired to play a jingle for Russia's Bridal Shop. Um, that was the very first time I was ever in a recording studio. I was probably 16. And, wow, and and it, we we recorded it here, and it was on the radio, and it was so cool, you know. To, to yeah, oh, how could it not? You know, be? To hear radio that the, was big too. Then radio was very big, you know. Yeah. So we were hooked, you know. We said, "Well, we got to do this," so we made an album, you know, and <laughs> um, you know. Uh, so yeah, uh, that was a that was a great experience. It kind of got me got me hooked on the idea of being uh, a musician, um, or at least sticking with it for during those years. I, in fact, I got hooked to the point where. Um, I eventually, after that band uh, broke up, um, I I was the night janitor here for for about a year. Used to come here and clean up the place at the end of the day. I come in at midnight, you know, and yeah. vacuum and stuff just yeah. to just to be in the building, you know. Yeah. Because it's kind of there's a romance with it, you know. Sure, and sometimes a janitor learns more than anyone else on the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. a lot of people back in the day, you know, they didn't go to school like I did you know right music production school that's that's how you you got in mm-hmm. like and you know maybe you start as a janitor right and yeah then you probably would start running a uh, food for sessions and and then maybe they started to kind of teach you how to set microphones yeah. and tell you about preamps <clears throat> and all that technical stuff and yeah, that's how you learned it. I didn't. I didn't learn too much of that, but yes, you're right. A lot of people did learn that way. I was pretty focused on just being a drummer and trying to muddle my way through a little bit of piano <laughs> playing and stuff. But, but yes, you're absolutely right. That's that's how it was done. Yeah. Yep. Playing with Gene Pitney. 
The man who shot Liberty <laughs> Valance, of course. Yeah. I don't know that song or what? It was 24 Hours to Tulsa. 20, was 24 Hours from Tulsa, yes. And you played with Gene Pitney for a while. Yeah, that was always the opening number of, of Gene's show. Oh, was it? Yeah, 24 Hours from Tulsa, yep. Um, yeah, uh, that was fun. Gary Rue is a local excellent composer and good friend of mine. Um, Gary has written a lot of songs, including a lot of music for theater in this town. Um, but he was a big Gene Pitney fan as a kid, and he ended up being Gene's music director for, I don't know, many, many years. And um, so, yeah, he hired myself and a couple other local guys to be in Gene's band. Gene was an interesting guy. Gene had a, had three different bands on three continents. Wow. Gene, Gene had a band in Australia. <laughs> He had a band in Europe, and he had a band in the United States. So um, I had no idea. So I would do his United States band. Gene was a very frugal guy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely frugal guy, yeah. <clears throat> so he, he didn't want to fly people across the oceans. He would just have bands on the three continents, you know, and <laughs> fly himself across the oceans, you know, which is fine. You know, I mean, it was he was great. And um, But in those years... Uh, this was early 2000s. You know, he was he was kind of doing the typical, uh, you know, he was a teen idol from the 60s, obviously. So at this point, he's playing casinos and that sort of thing. And, and that was fun. We, we had a, we had a, I had a great time uh, working with him. Um, I have nothing but fond memories of that gig. It was, it was great. You produced albums for Mary Jane Alm and Prudence Johnson? I did. Um, Mary Jane, you know, was a, was on a lot of jingles in those days. Yeah. Um, and we met um, as a result of that. I, when I first, like I mentioned, Bill Barber rec recruited me to start writing, and I, you know, I had asked him, okay, well, who should I hire to sing? And he had a list of people, and she was pretty much at the top of the list. So, so yes, I, I met her doing that. And we found that we had a, we had a real shared affinity for, for music. We liked uh, a lot of the same kind of music, and, and not only the same songs, but the same spots in songs. And I mean, I mean it was, we had a really good connection with that sort of thing. So it was natural when she decided to do an album, I think, that we figured out a way to work together. And we wrote some, co-wrote some tunes, and I produced the record, and it was a fun record. I have great memories of that. We had a we had a great time making that record here. That one was, yeah, that one was done here. Yep, it was done here. Yep. Wow. Yep. The um, and then uh, where did you do Prudence Johnson? Is that uh, Prudence, place? we mainly did at Metro Studios. Okay. Do, uh, do you remember Metro Studios? I do remember it. It was over in the warehouse district. Yep. Um, um, kind of, it was across the street from the Monte Carlo. Yep. There was a big studio in there. Maybe there still is of some kind. I don't know. I haven't been no, there. That's, no, that's the Hewing now. Okay. I mean, that's where um, IPR, the Institute of... Uh, right. Yep. Um, yep. Producing and recording right. was. That was a wonderful studio. And Tom Tucker uh, yep. was the engineer over there. And kind so, of a legendary engineer. Yes. Tom was fabulous engineer. He engineered Mary Jane's record over here. He used to have a room here at, Crea at, at Creation. But then he had a room over at Metro, and so I kind of followed him over there when we did Prudence's record. The other thing I want to ask you about was um, <clears throat> Prairie Home Companion, and I know you worked with Garrison and uh, my longtime uh, good friend uh, Tim Russell. Yes. And some other talents. Uh, well, in fact, you had a lot of guests come in on those shows. Tell, how'd that whole thing happen? Well, okay. Uh, 
back in the jingle days, I used to hire, uh, uh, you know, folks, musicians to play on stuff. And Tim did a lot of voice work at the studio. Yes, he did. And one of the, one of the people I used to hire was Richie Dworsky to play piano and keyboards on sessions. And Richie eventually landed the music director gig of Prairie Home Companion. He was the piano player. And so, you know, this is so many years later, uh, when they needed a drummer, he called me and said, would you like to, you know, come and play this gig? So I started with them in 2007, Mm -hmm. and I did it for seven years. Excuse me. And that was a really, really uh, fun experience. That... That whole organization, the, 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 I mean, all the way down to the staff in the office, the crew, the cast, the band, everybody was really good at their jobs. Um, it was a really just excellent um, people and, um, you know, nice people and really capable people. Um, so that was just a really fun gig. And, you know, he had a lot of listeners, so he could get some pretty big name guests. He had about, you know, 4 million listeners a week a lot of mm-hmm. times, which is, you know, that's more than a lot of ESPN football games, you know. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he had, he had a, I mean, the list of people that, that I got to play with that were guests on that show is a long list, and they're, they're all, um, you know, um, you know, Aaron Neville. Oh, uh, yeah. Yo, yeah you- Yo-Yo Ma. <laughs> uh, Brandy Carlisle, who was here at the fair recently, um, Sarah Watkins, uh, the Waylon Jennies, Itzhak Perlman, Arlo Guthrie, John Prine, <laughs> uh, Brad Paisley, you know, I mean, uh, Renee Fleming. Okay, uh, I got, can I stop you there? Okay. <laughs> Renee Fleming, renowned singer, <laughs> yeah. respected by the world. Yeah, she's a beautiful op- pipes, right? Right. Right. <laughs> Tell me about you being her vocal coach. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, this is this is kind of a fun fun deal. This might top the McCartney story. Uh, well, you know, she's this great opera singer, you know, and she was a guest. Uh, every year that show would do um, a, a number of uh, weeks at Town Hall in New York City. Yeah. And one particular week, she was the guest on the show. In fact, she was on more than once. But... Um, she she came in at her you know, her prescribed time to rehearse, and you know she's just handed a script because Garrison would write skits, and one of the skits he had written on this particular week was um, a kind of a Bob Dylan opera, okay, and so he wanted her to sing some Bob Dylan songs, um, you know, as an opera singer, mm-hmm. and he had rewritten the words. And so they handed her a script with these lyrics on it, song to the tune of, you know, whatever the, so, you know, the first one was blowing in the wind. And she got handed this and she's supposed to rehearse in 15 minutes. (laughs) And the band took a break and I'm walking off stage, off into the wings and I hear this voice coming and she goes, excuse me. Um, And I said, yeah. And and it was Renee. And she said, hi, I'm Renee Fleming. And I said, yeah, I know that. Um, (laughs) she said, I know I'm supposed to know these songs. She said, I mean, everybody knows these songs. She says, I get that. But she says, I don't know these songs. (laughs) She said, could you, do you know these songs? I said, well, yeah, I do. And she said, well, could you 
teach me how these songs go. <laughs> so I sat down you're next thinking, to Renee Fleming. I'm teaching her. I sat down next to Renee and I gave her solfege, if you know what that is, because I knew she'd know how to. I said, you know, blowing in the wind is um, um, so, 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 la, 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 so, mi, re, do. She's scribbling, you know, so, 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 la, so she can find these, you know, these pitches, you know. And we went through the tunes. I don't remember what they all were, but so. I was I joke I joked ever since that I you know I can add this to my resume that I was Renee Fleming's vocal coach you know <laughs> well, that was fun yeah yeah that's pretty that's pretty powerful on LinkedIn or something <laughs> yeah who use what yeah uh, Pete hang on here I uh, appreciate your time always goes a little longer than I think it will uh, and I don't want to leave anything out but I do want you to think about this when we come back with all the people you played with all people we've just talked about today and many we probably haven't you're going to put together a concert. I want to know who the three people are you're going to feature in that concert. Alive or not, doesn't matter, but who, who you'd, who'd you'd put on a show. You're responsible for booking it, who you'd like on that show. Hmm. Okay. So, <clears throat> and I'll look forward to hearing that. That's always a tough one to think about, especially when you played with multiple talents like you have. Hey, speaking of talents, Michael Brindisi out at the Chanhassen Dinner Theater is an amazing talent. He was as a performer, even more so now as an artistic director and the president of Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, and has he done it all with this one, Jersey Boys. Um, I, I guess you can characterize it as kind of a jukebox musical, but it is uh, the best musical jukebox uh, of its kind. And Jersey Boys does all of these things in the presentation where you're going to uh, laugh, you're going to be, you're going to have tears, you're just going to have all sorts of emotions, but most of all, you're just going to absolutely not only enjoy the story, but love, love, love the music. And Michael has done a fabulous job, and all you have to do is not take my word for it. You can go to the critics' reviews of this show. Chan Hassan's a gem of a place. I mean, the great dinner package, we've taken advantage of that many times, a choice of any number of shows, uh, the benefit of free parking, that's kind of special. <laughs> It's a great place for anybody who's looking for some fantastic summertime, fall, winter, springtime entertainment. It doesn't matter what time of year. Uh, back to Jersey Boys. I, I'm not sure how long it'll run, but I do know you can call the box office or visit at ChanhassenDT.com and say, hey, uh, if you call them or just, just go to that website and you find out what's on the main stage. And that's Jersey Boys right now. And, and you'll find out Michael has a special affinity to this because he grew up on the streets of Philadelphia singing in those streetlights much like uh, the, the Four Seasons did, as will be shown in this production. Also, because we're talking with Pete here about all these concerts and music, they have a wonderful little concert set up there. Uh, the acoustics are great. I've been in there many times for shows. I've never heard anything that hasn't sounded great. And, you know, when you go to these and you can hear the sounds and the music as well as, you, as, well as this, uh, you're going to love it. So check out the list of entertainers they have there and tribute concerts and originals. It's pretty amazing. ChanhassenDT.com. Okay, Pete, almost an unfair question, but if there were three people you could set up in a concert that you were going to uh, produce, who, do, who would they be? Well, definitely an unfair question, but uh, <laughs> no question about it. But um, among the three, I all right. Say. If I had to, if I, you know, if I have to pick three, I, and I could pick more, um, but I would, I would maybe start with Yo-Yo Ma. Um, just because he he, uh, he he the the vibe you get I mean I I have um, you know you've seen him on TV or whatever I I had never met him but he did do Prairie Home Companion once and 
he really does kind of light up the room when he walks into a room. He's just a really remarkable person. And he loves all sorts of different kind of music. He's, you know, he's, he's very eclectic that way. And um, he, he's, he's a very kind, warm, fabulous musician. So I, I got to say probably he would be one. John Prine, who's no longer with us. Yeah. John was, uh, you know, an honest-to-goodness uh, folk singer who, 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 I mean, he was the real deal. When you mentioned him, I was going to ask you what that was like. Yeah, it was, it was, it was very humbling, you know. And, you know, again, this is a, I mean, we could talk about this for a long time because there's different, there's different ways to be a great musician. John was not a schooled musician at all. He was a mailman, as I recall, I think. He started, you know, he, he just had a way of, of, um, of communicating with people, that was, with music that was, that was just magical. And um, it was a thrill to play with him. Um, and, and he could cap, he was very captivating, you know, a presence, um, and just, a, just, just kind of, just kind of emanated honesty, you know, <laughs> I, I really liked him. Um, and so that was great. I mean, you know, I, I'm not good at all these adjectives and stuff. And I, I, I don't, I think the other person I would mention is really my friend, Billy Barber. I mean, he's not a famous person. But he is brilliant. Um, he, he's, he's, I think he's one of the best melody writers on the planet. It's a preposterous statement, but I believe it's true. He's a, he, and, he, and he inspired me to kind of stay in music. I learned a lot from him as a kid. He, he kind of kept me on my, got me going on my path with writing and producing and stuff. But he's just a really fine musician um, and has written a lot of good music. Um, and uh, I, I'd have, I couldn't leave him off any list like that, even though that the folks maybe have never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, um, really, really good musician. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know who else to say. I, well, that's tough. And you'll drive home now going, I should have said this. I, said I that. definitely yeah. probably will. Yeah. Um, anything yeah. I left out, Pete? I mean, you've had a great career, obviously. And uh, can people still hear you play? Well, um, yes, I'm picking my spots more. You know, when you're, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're, when you're in this business uh, as a self-employed person, you can you have the advantage of not having to pick a retirement date where you just kind of jump off the cliff. You know, yeah, you can kind of yeah. taper down. So I'm kind of picking my spots more. Mm -hmm. um, I work with Pat Donahue, who was on Prairie Home Companion for years. Pat puts together bands, a band regularly uh, that he that he bills as Pat Donahue and the Prairie All Stars. And I play with him uh, whenever he does that. And that's fairly frequently still. Uh, I'm in a little country band uh, that Dan Chenard put together called Lush Country, uh, which is basically features music from the country music from the 40s, 50s, 60s, music that I eschewed as a kid mm -hmm. that, I'm, that I'm now learning to appreciate. Yeah. Um, and then I'm in a Christmas show that we just play in December. It's called Christmas on the Prairie. Mary Jane Alma's in that. Boyd and Amy Lee are in that. Uh, uh, Pat Donahue has been doing that along with Richard Crean from the Prairie Home Band. It's a, it's a really sweet Christmas show that we do at, at the, at, uh, we do it at the Hastings Art, uh, Hastings Art Center in early December. And then we do a run right before Christmas at the, uh, at the, uh, um, 
Fireside Theater at the in Chan at the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, which I, I highly recommend that show. It's really good. Um, and you know, I have a church gig that I do. Um, and that's about it, really. Yeah, that sounds like a lot to me, but it's 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 just the right amount. Yeah, you're enjoying it's it. It's just the right amount. Like t- this afternoon, I'm going to see the Twins play. You know. Oh yeah, I gotta let yeah. you get going here, Gav. Dang it, Pete, I forgot about that. You know, we need to we need to get back up to a seven game lead over Cleveland. Exactly. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, great great having you, and I appreciate your time. I know you're on your way to the ballpark, but thanks for stopping in. Uh, and it's uh, congrats on everything all the way through and continued success. It was really a treat to meet you. Oh, man, and I appreciate this. It was well, fun. It was fun. Yeah, really fun. He is uh, Pete Johnson. We are uh, on my first concert, a series that you can download or check out anywhere at Apple, Spotify, TalkNorth.com. We have a lot of great podcasts at TalkNorth.com, by the way. Uh, Davide, our producer, thank you as always, Davide. You're welcome. And uh, we will see you back here next week on my first concert. Do I need to close the sponsors? Probably. Yeah, you yeah. need to close the... Let's redo that. <laughs> I can do the front part. And I can do it by heart, but then that's when we yeah. get a note and say, you forgot to say this. Okay. All right. We want to thank everybody who made this possible, including the Minnesota Propane Association, Starbank.net, the Chan Hassan Dinner Theaters, by UCARE, and by Aquarius Home Services here from the AquariusHomeServices.com studios. Uh, We're back next week with more. Looking forward to that. Davide, always great to see you, and I appreciate uh, all the work here. Thank you. uh, Davide, by the way, by by trade, is a music producer, but he's he's lowered his... He's lowered his uh, expectations <laughs> and taken on this program. It's not lowered. It's a, <laughs> it's a pleasure and a privilege. <laughs> he is Davide, and I'm Dave, and we'll see you next week on my first concert. <laughs>